when I see patients and I'm talking to them, so much of what they tell me and those experiences ends up translating into what I feel is important to report on because I'm hearing it from my patients or what they're asking me and they want to know about. Uh, that work as a doctor, I definitely bring to my role as a journalist. And then what I cover in the news, I'm able to then bring back to the office and talk to my own patients about and help inform them. Hello and welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk, where some of the brightest minds in healthcare help us break down the latest news and developments. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, joined by my co-host, Chris Gazuski, as always. And today, a very special guest is Dr. Tara Nerula. She's a cardiologist and she's also the Associate Director of the Lenox Hill Women's Heart Program. And she is extremely busy because she's also the senior medical correspondent for CBS News. She's joining us virtually today. Thank you so much, Dr. Narula, for joining us. So you've had the unique aspect of covering COVID for the news and also treating patients. What has this last year been like for you? It's been an incredibly interesting uh, year that I don't think any of us will ever forget. But certainly, uh, let me just start by saying, you know, as a journalist, it was something that uh, I think we are all prepared for in the sense that we're always reading about breaking news and research studies and trying to report and inform the public in a way that's clear and accurate. But that took on really much more importance, I think, with COVID because there was such a hunger for uh, accurate, clear, understandable information, particularly in those first few months when it just seemed like we were learning more and more about the disease each hour of every day. I remember just being you know, on my phone constantly reading through email after email about breaking news from you know, China or a new study in the United States. And so trying to stay on top of everything and really pick out what were the important things that we needed to highlight to the American public was probably the biggest and most important challenge. And you know, for me, uh, I think in those first four or five months, one of the things that really emerged was the issue around PPE and really hearing from so many frontline workers around the country, basically screaming out that they did not have adequate PPE and wanting to get their voices heard. And there were other issues along the way, certainly the, the mental health crisis uh, and toll that uh, we have seen taken on not just our society at large, but also uh, on our frontline staff. Um, and then there were specific science issues that emerged over time, the cytokine storm and clotting issues related to COVID. So it was really incredible to be at that forefront of information that was coming in and to, um, to make sure that we were conveying it to the public in a way that made them feel uh, safe, made them feel that they were getting correct information and did not make them feel panicked. Um, and then certainly as a, as a doctor, as a cardiologist who has her panel of patients that I could no longer see in person because we couldn't go to the office, uh, we had to use telehealth, that became a whole new challenge. Um, so it was, it was a lot uh, happening at the same time. I can't imagine uh, uh, under normal circumstances how challenging it is to to balance both being senior medical correspondent for a major news organization as well as treating patients and your administrative role. How was it during COVID in a, a time of crisis when I'm sure the news was like looking upon you to really give that expert opinion? You know, the, the one saving grace was at that time we really couldn't be in the office, at least in those that first month or two months. And so it did give me a little bit of time to be on top of 
the news. And that was so important then. And then as things started to open up back in New York and we started to go back into the office and see patients, we started to also get a better handle on COVID and how to treat patients and, um, and what was happening. And it wasn't so much of that mystery anymore. There wasn't so much fear around it. We started to get a handle on it. So thankfully, um, there was a little bit of a gap between actually working, seeing patients clinically and being able to focus on the news. So I was able to kind of give my all um, you know, where I needed to in the beginning with my role as a journalist. And then when we were able to go back into the office, I felt like I could be 100% there, you know, for my patients as well. But it's definitely a challenge balancing and mixing everything and not to mention being home with my kids who wanted my attention while I was trying to uh, field calls from patients or do televisits and also be on meetings with CBS about what we were reporting on. So it was a lot at once, but, but well worth it. Yeah. You know, we needed you in that position. We needed that calming voice to explain things us to, to, in a way that we could understand it. There were, like you said, so much fear and anxiety and unknown in the beginning, but there were also some great stories. There was the, the, the clap outs and there was the, the feel good stories. Can, are there any stories that, that stand out in your mind that maybe was a turning point or that, that gave hope? I mean, I have to say, you know, the the clapping every night was something that I personally wrote about um, on my social media because it impacted me so much. Um, you know, my husband and I live with our two kids in an apartment in New York City, surrounded by other apartment buildings. And, you know, every night at 7 p.m., we would hear that clapping. And, and I remembered one night being in my kitchen and um, the song by Louis Armstrong came on, What a Wonderful World. And I just started crying. It came on at the same moment that I heard the clapping and I think it was just this feeling of no matter what was happening and how our world seemingly was falling apart and there was so much separation and so much fear that there was still so much joy and beauty and how our city came together for those healthcare workers who were showing up every single day with such courage. And, you know, it's a, uh, it was just an amazing thing to be living here at the epicenter during that time and to witness um, all of our nurses and doctors and staff, everyone, the janitors, the people who work in the cafeteria, just showing up every single day with such bravery. Um, and then to see, you know, as I said, our, our society here really getting behind them. Um, it was really powerful for me. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing that impacted me again as a as a physician who was seeing patients was suddenly showing up to work with my um, scrubs and my masks and my goggles. And, you know, the one thing I love about being a doctor and honestly, what I love about journalism is the connection that you have with people. And it's such a personal thing. And that comes from seeing the look in someone's eye and reading the expressions on their face and the subtleties that come with sort of touching their hand. I remember my father is a cardiologist and I used to go to the hospital with him when I was a little girl. And he always used to put his hand on the patient's hand or their foot and make sure he touched them when he was talking to them. And he said, you know, people want to feel that they're connected to you. And so, you know, when I would go to work and not be able to see their face or touch them or read their emotions, it just changed so much of what I love about being a doctor and it, it made it harder. Um, and definitely challenging. But uh, that was another, I think, um, thing that I hadn't anticipated how much it was going to affect me was really feeling that disconnect from my patients and recognizing that what I love so much about being a doctor is that connection. 
Yeah, the uh, I think you you touched on that. Uh, I was going to ask if uh, has your journalism career you know influenced cardiology for you or vice versa. Uh, it sounds as if the connection has been the the connection. Absolutely, and I know when I first started working as a, a medical correspondent, and, and it was so important to me to continue to practice medicine because both of them really inform each other. And I really can't imagine doing either job. Uh, alone, because certainly when I see patients and I'm talking to them, so much of what they tell me and those experiences and our interactions and my work with them ends up translating into what I feel is important to report on because I'm hearing it from my patients or what they're asking me and they want to know about, uh, or, um, you know, just even how we talk about the science, you know, how I explain it to them. So that work as a doctor, I definitely bring to my role as a journalist. And then what I cover in the news is so critically valuable for the questions that my patients then ask me, for example, about the COVID vaccine and why should I take it? And are you concerned about the side effects? Uh, how much research has been done or about the risks to the heart? So what I learn, because I have to learn it for reporting, you know, all of the breaking news, I'm able to then bring back to the office and talk to my own patients about and help inform that. Did you get your vaccine? I did. I was another emotional day when I started crying was with my first shot. It was, uh, it just was overwhelming to after again, everything that we had been reporting on and I had been seeing and hearing from my patients and just living through this as a human being in New York city to be sitting there and getting that shot, uh, was just, it was such a momentous m moment. I don't know how to say it, but it was just a, it was an incredibly powerful moment in my life to know that we had in one year reached a point where we went from complete fear and anxiety over what is happening to, we actually have a way to prevent people from getting sick and dying with the vaccine. So I was very proud to get my shot and very happy. That's awesome. And, you know, as a cardiologist, you started seeing some of the effects that COVID had on hearts. Tell us a little bit about uh, how people with, with cardiovascular diseases and, and how COVID affects uh, the heart. Well, we're learning more and more about this. And hopefully as the next months come along, we will get more research to inform us. But, you know, we certainly learned that COVID has a number of effects on different parts of the body, the heart included, the cardiovascular system. Uh, we know that it can have an impact on, as I mentioned, clotting. So we can see clotting kind of all over the body um, that we think that this may be a virus that particu particularly affects the vasculature or the blood vessels. Um, we've also learned that COVID can actually potentially cause inflammation of the heart or myocarditis or damage to the heart muscle. Um, and then, you know, in general, we've been seeing so many emerging reports, and we've talked about this on CBS as well, of long haulers. And you know, really starting to understand that even people who may have had mild COVID infection may go on to become long haulers where they experience systemic symptoms um, of fatigue and shortness of breath and chest pain and palpitations and brain fog for months to come. So there's just so much about this disease that we are still learning about. And unfortunately, um, I think one of the important messages that we try to get across is that, um, you know, when people are concerned about vaccination and they say, well, I'll just take my chances and get sick. The reality is that even if you get sick and you get better, you are still potentially at risk for becoming a long hauler. And that's something that could be really disabling. 
Is, is that uh, impacting both men and women? It is. It is. And young and old. Um, we've done a lot of stories in the news on people who are in their 20s and 30s who their complete way of life has been altered. The people who used to be marathon runners who can barely, you know, walk a city block before they're tired. Um, people who've had to really change their ability to work because they can't think clearly anymore. So um, it, it's affecting large swath of our society, men, women, young and old. So Dr. Narula, when we introduced you earlier, we, we mentioned that you're the associate director of the Lenox Hill Women's Heart Program. Just tell us a little bit about that program and what it offers. Right. So we have a really uh, unique program here in Manhattan. We have an incredible collection of female cardiologists uh, who really we have brought together to specifically focus on women's cardiovascular and heart health. And so what we like to promote about our program is that we take a very personalized approach. And so it is not the type of center where a woman is going to come in and get 50 million tests run, um, but rather one where she will sit one-on-one with a cardiologist who really gets to know her as a human being and every facet of her, um, because we know that all of that matters. So what happens to a woman in her youth um, what happens to women during pregnancy, what happens uh, postpartum and through menopause, uh, did she have any cancers or treatments that affect her cardiovascular health? There are so many different factors um, that will play into her risk of cardiovascular disease. And so we really look at the woman through the whole picture of her life, through all of the other medical issues, conditions um, that may be affecting her to her personal life. And so we create really a plan based on that personalized approach. Another thing that we've been focusing on lately is also building support for women who may be interested in the field of cardiology and pursuing a career as a cardiologist. Dr. Eugenia Giannos, who is the director of our Lenox Women's Heart Program, and I um, really felt like there has been an issue with lack of female mentorship. Um, in the cardiology community for younger generations of women who are coming up and maybe interested in cardiology. And we really wanted to provide that support to women at all levels, uh, beginning from high school through college, medical school, residency, and fellowship to show them that there uh, are lots of different career paths they can take within cardiology as a woman. Um, And, you know, So we named our program Face of Cardiology. It's a social media campaign as part of it called Hashtag Face of Cardiology, um, but also a mentoring program that we are uh, promoting within the Northwell Health System. So we are meeting uh, with medical students, with residents, with fellows who are female and offering to connect them to our female cardiology attendings uh, so that they can build a mentoring relationship should they have questions about things like uh, promotions or salary discussions or different paths within the field that they may want to take, for example, medicine and media, as I do, or medicine and business, as one of my colleagues does. Um, so we really want to show women that this is something they can do. It's an amazing field and we want to support them. And so uh, we have little videos that we are putting out on social media featuring and highlighting the work of many of our female cardiologists to show their different faces. Um, And then we are also meeting, as I said, with our uh, younger generations of women within the health system. You know, February is Women's Heart Health Month. Um, You know, what are are the positive messages that we're continuing to tell, you know, women and and for, in fact, all, all people with cardiovascular disease this month? 
Well, this is obviously a topic near and dear to my heart because of my uh, job as a cardiologist. And I also, you know, I'm a spokesperson for the American Heart Association and I work very closely with the Go Red for Women campaign. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that we've seen with COVID is uh, that people have really skipped a lot of their routine medical visits, um, in particular with their cardiologist, for example. And that's really problematic because we know that with conditions like hypertension, for example, you really need to have good control of your blood pressure. And so if you're not seeing your doctor regularly, that's a problem. We also know that people are scared to seek treatment if they have or work up symptoms of chest pain, or if they may be experiencing uh, symptoms that could be concerning for a stroke, they're not going to the hospital. A key to uh, the fight against heart disease in women is really awareness. And so a lot of this month is just simply about educating women that this is a big threat for for women about what the signs and symptoms are, and lastly, to prioritize their health because a lot of women downplay their own health issues because they're taking care of everybody else in their life. So we try to reinforce that they need to put themselves at the top of their priority list. Yeah. When you talk about prioritizing your health and, and if you're one of those people that's on the bottom of the list, you know, maybe you're, you're 40, 50 and you're healthy and you're not going to be anytime soon for the vaccine. Are there certain things that people should do preventatively, um, to maybe lessen their risk if they did get COVID or, or to maybe prevent them from getting COVID or prevent them from having any worse side effects if they did get it? Well, certainly we know that there are risk factors that increase the severity of COVID, right? So cardiovascular disease, for example, obesity, uh, diabetes. So getting your risk factors under control and making sure your cardiovascular disease um, is as well controlled as possible is definitely a way to hopefully prevent any sort of severe reaction to COVID if you were to get COVID. Um, and then certainly all of the public health measures that we talk about, so masking, social distancing, hand washing, we don't want people to forget about that. Um, while we are vaccinating, uh, we are still seeing you know, the emergence of variants. We have not reached herd immunity yet. So people really still need to be vigilant about all of these things as we move forward. Actually, I started asking all of our guests this question. Uh, what's the first thing you're going to do when this is over? <laughs> Take a trip with my family somewhere <laughs> warm and sunny and sit on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> Can't yeah. wait for that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we always like to end on a positive note. What gives you hope? You know, one of the other, um, I love this question because I talk to my kids about silver linings and resilience all the time. And I think, you know, unfortunately, some of the individuals that have been affected during this pandemic that we don't often talk about are children. Um, and they've been stuck at home. They haven't been able to go to school. They've been isolated too. Um, so they've been going through a lot, but I have to say my kids give me, um, they give me hope because I see them still smiling and still laughing and still finding joy in the little things and the time together and the walks outside. So I look at them and I see how they've responded to this year of challenges. Uh, and, they're just incredible. All of our children are. And so I have to say that if we can hopefully keep that childlike innocence, that joy, and that sense of um, learning and, and growing from what's happened to us and not letting it destroy us, I think that um, that really, that gives me hope and purpose for what's to come. And hopefully we'll be stronger for the next challenge that we face. Awesome. Dr. Tara Norula, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. And for everybody who tuned in, thank you so much. Have a great day and stay safe. 
Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.